You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Dan Irvin, Director of Corporate Communications and Public Relations at Mitsubishi Motors North America, goes on the record online. The thing that really worries me about the blogs, the thing that worries me about the fact that everybody's opinion on the Internet has an equal weight, an equal message, is we have really lost our sense of accountability. We, it creates a tremendous challenge because there is such a potential for the communication of misinformation. And welcome to another episode of On the Record Online. Um, if you are a returning listener of this show, thanks for coming back. If this is your first time listening, this is a podcast about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it as well as uh, the impact of new technology uh, like blogs and podcasts and the internet on the business of public relations and uh, corporate communications. Uh, We do one-on-one interviews with journalists from the mainstream media. Uh, We talk to bloggers, we talk to podcasters, um, and we also talk to, from time to time, uh, people who handle PR on the corporate side and on the agency side. my name is Eric Schwartzman. I'm the founder and chairman of iPressroom Corporation. Uh, we help organizations integrate the web into their marketing, communications, and PR initiatives. And I'm also um, personally and professionally interested in how technology is changing the way organizations communicate and the way people consume media and information. Today we have a one-on-one interview with Dan Irvin of Mitsubishi Motors North America. He is the Director of Corporate Communications and Public Relations uh, for that automaker. Um, The interview runs around 20 minutes. Uh, I hope you have a chance to listen to it. Uh, It's very interesting. He talks uh, all about what it's like running PR and corporate communications uh, for this automaker and some of the challenges he faces and how technology is changing the way he does his job. Um, so if you are streaming this interview and you want to subscribe, uh, you can do that by going to www.ontherecordpodcast.com. And uh, there are a number of different options for subscribing to the podcast there. It doesn't cost money to subscribe to the podcast. It's free. Uh, and you can just uh, click on any of the different uh, tags there that will or badges that will allow you to subscribe through iTunes or Yahoo Podcasts or Podcast Alley or Odeo. And if you don't know what any of that is and you're interested, there's a little uh, link there about um, how to subscribe, and you can click on that. It's a tutorial for how to subscribe to the podcast. What that means is that um, you will automatically receive new episodes of the podcast each time they're uploaded. And, of course, you can unsubscribe too if you want, Um, although I wouldn't advise that because let me tell you something. We're working on some big names here. And when they come through, you won't get them. So if you want to um, uh, subscribe to the show, you can do that there. Uh, so now we are going to play for you the uh, podcast with Dan Irvin in its entirety. 
after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from iPressroom. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom. Tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. I am here with Dan Irvin, the Director of Corporate Communications and Public Relations at Mitsubishi Motors North America. Um, thanks for doing this. Hi, Eric. I'm delighted to do it. We are at the uh, Media Relations 2006 conference in New York City, and you've just gotten through speaking on a panel. Yes, uh, the, the panel was about uh, uh, repairing corporate reputation. I was... Uh, uh, just prior to the job that I that I have, I was performing a similar function for our manufacturing facility, which in 1998 uh, was the uh, recipient, I guess for want of a better word, of the largest sexual harassment uh, uh, lawsuit settlement in the history of the EOC at that time. It's been superseded since then. But we, we talked at the panel as, as a, a, the two colleagues of mine from, from other areas uh, talked about how you go about recovering from a blow to a corporation's reputation like that. And, and how do you? It was heartening, really, to hear uh, my colleagues from Providian and Bridgestone talk about very similar things. And uh, the first point is that uh, even though we're at, as you say, a media relations conference, it's not a media relations issue. It ultimately begins from, from walking the walk, from changing your culture, from uh, very methodically uh, communicating uh, one one of the companies had a five-point plan. We had a 22-point plan. Another one had a six- or a seven-point plan. Communicating slow, steady progress uh, to all of your stakeholders, not just the media, but the employees, the, uh, the government entities that might uh, be uh, responsible for the area where you work or where you're located. And, uh, and ultimately, I think, not try... To manage the media, we do our job. We communicate internally and communicate to our stakeholders. Provide access to the media. Let the media do their job. And and ultimately, when the time is right, when the third party validation exists, uh, and when the media has a track record that they can they can show of of positive. Uh, results that you've had in those areas of your plan, that then then it's time for somebody, uh, a third party, to say that you've been triumphant, that you've s succeeded in in recovering the reputation. And it, it was all, all three companies took actually kind of independently a very similar route to get there. How do you know when you have a crisis? I mean, I imagine the initial reaction is probably to grin and bear it and try to get through it and not respond. But we've seen so many uh, instances of companies that didn't respond to a crisis and then it got worse. Uh, so uh, what, what defines a crisis? I think what, what we've learned as uh, communications professionals that our uh, ex executives will, will respond to in terms of the just hunker down and don't respond and how that that doesn't work is that uh, you know particularly as as you know because we're doing this with the explosion of media coverage 
the explosion of attention to everything that we have. Uh, people are going to talk. People are going to write. People are going to broadcast. People are going to podcast. Their opinions and what they see to be the facts or what their interpretations are, all of that information is going to be out there. It's important that our side of the story be, be represented. So you, you can't just hunker down and say, I'm not going to respond. So is there a defining moment when you know this is a crisis? I mean, what constitutes a crisis? Oh, I, I think it's... It, it, it's it, it's a crisis when there's when there's consistent when there's consistent r reporting of whatever it is that your issue is when when there's just really an overwhelming demand for for you to respond and a demand for you to change i guess that would be the the crisis i mean in our instance it was uh uh, I mean, it was a, it was a lawsuit that was that was brought by the EEOC. It was uh, you know it was on the the, the five o'clock news. It was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. I mean, it's that that's a fairly evident crisis. I know there are actually a number of firms that call themselves crisis communications firms, and they actually specialize in helping organizations mm -hmm. that have some mm -hmm. sort of a crisis. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have any background in that, or when you had your difficulty at Mitsubishi, did you use a crisis communications firm, or is that just something you know how to do on your own? Well, there were there were uh, PR consultants that were involved, but but again, it's uh, we we discovered that you know ultimately it's 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 not something that you can manage with media relations and with public relations. First and foremost, you have to change your culture. And you ha that means internally. Uh, ours was a workplace issue. We had to change our workplace. And uh, uh, media relations uh, consultants, crisis uh, communications consultants have, you know, have their value, but ultimately they can't tell you how to change your organization. So now, tell us if you would, just give us an overview of what it's like running PR at a car company. Well, we're a, 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 a small car company, uh, currently less than 1% of the market with hopes that we'll someday be back to one and a half and then hopefully grow to 2%. So uh, we possibly don't have the resources uh, that, that a lot of other uh, organizations would have. So my job is maybe a little, a little different, but uh, I've got a staff of uh, just three people and we're in charge of um, corporate communications, corporate PR, that is really to say, I hate to, I hate to define it with a negative, but it's really everything that doesn't relate to product. So all of the business issues, all of the uh, uh, internal communications, government relations, community relations, public affairs, uh, those, those, those kinds of things I have res responsibility for. So it's basically uh, determining who the stakeholders are. In our instances, people who are hopefully, you know, somebody going to buy a car and hopefully it's going to be a Mitsubishi. Uh, the uh, uh, members of, of, of government, uh, the uh, employees that we have, our dealers, our suppliers, and uh, finding out what their 
what their needs are with, with regard to communications and then addressing those. And would you say for the most part that uh, on a daily basis you're responding to incoming requests or sort of going out and looking for editorial opportunities? Uh, it's, a, it's a mix. Uh, obviously, the, the, the best ones, the ones that will promote uh, the, the messaging or the, the, the issues that, that we feel we need to get in front of those consumers or those stakeholders, the best ones are the ones that are proactive. They're the ones that we can, that we can control. But obviously, you, you have to drop everything to respond to the, to the request. So the incoming request comes first, and then if there's time left over, that's when you, you, you do the proactive communication. And obviously with blogs out there and all this consumer-generated media and everyone pretty much saying whatever they want, whether it's a complaint or whether they like a product, they can now um, syndicate that opinion and make it available to a global audience. How does that impact what you do, or does it? Well, it, it does to the extent that because everything is out there and because it does have an impact, you have to be aware or as aware as you can of... of uh, uh, of, of what's going on and if if you know we can can take your your, your listeners and kind of paint a, a picture for them uh, in the uh, kind of rotunda area out here at the conference you know they they set up all the booths and all the vendors they're all media monitoring everybody who monitors media in, in you know in the world is here trying to sell their service and it's it's just it has become so complicated trying to just keep track of all of the information that is that is out there and if i can climb up on my soapbox just for a second the thing that really worries me about it the thing that really worries me about the blogs the thing that worries me about the fact that everybody's opinion on the internet has an equal weight an equal message is we have really lost our sense of accountability we, it creates a tremendous challenge because there is such a potential for the communication of misinformation that uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's exhausting. And it's really concerning, not, not just in, in the automotive industry or, you know, in, in, in business, just, uh, you know, a perfect example being the, the, the terrible mind disaster that happened in in Pennsylvania and the way that the media you know all kinds of media were able to take take off on that we really we really have to somehow get our our arms and our hands around things and 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 begin to get some measure of accountability into the stuff that that's out there because people don't know what what to believe so you see uh, I guess the the growth of blogs is being Potentially dangerous because there's no editorial oversight. I, I think there's a, a tremendous potential value. A, 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 you know, a tremendous. A, a Mitsubishi customers are are uh, they're 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 obsessed with Mitsubishi. They're they're tremendous advocates for our brand. So we have a, a, you know a, a tremendous opportunity that these people that are so enthusiastic about our product are going to be out there talking about it that's a tremendous opportunity for us but at the same time it, it, it is it is also a, a tremendous opportunity for a lot of misinformation to be to be uh, d d disseminated and uh, 
that that is a tremendous challenge for not just for us for everybody so tell us what you know about your target customer your brand advocate these these people who are really excited about your brand who are they what do you know about them well we don't define them as uh as being of a certain age or a certain financial uh, income demographic we we define our our customer as a fun seeking striver and i'm 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 53 years old. I think I'm I'm one of those. And there are, you know, 18, 20, 21 year olds. There are soccer moms. There are, uh, 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 you know, a, a wide variety of people. But but they uh, aren't content in their mode of transportation in just getting from point A to point B, the fun-seeking striver really wants to get from point A to point B with a smile on their face. And, and, and we really think that that's, that that's the person that we're after. We think our styling and our engineering and the performance of our vehicles really appeals to those people. And as the director of corporate communications and PR, is any of the material or uh, efforts that you're undertaking um, focus directly on those constituents? Or are you pretty much looking to reach them through media channels? We're looking to reach them through through media channels primarily with the fun-seeking striver message. But I've been presented with a with with a challenge uh, due to you know a lot of a lot of external circumstances and a lot of of, of global circumstances that that. Mitsubishi has a unique challenge and a unique PR challenge to get out there, and that is that we're going to be a survivor. We're we're not going away, and and I I've heard uh, you know a, a radio broadcaster in Chicago a, a year ago, 15 months ago at the Chicago Auto Show, uh, a, a radio critic tell listeners my wife was listening on the radio and she was real upset when she got home she said this guy said yeah that eclipse is a is a tremendous eclipse coupe is a tremendous vehicle it's very exciting but i would never buy one because mitsubishi's not going to be here because they're going to go out of business in the next year or two and with uh, a, a couple of years ago daimler chrysler uh, withdrew their basically their funding their support from Mitsubishi, which kind of put our company into financial crisis. But Mitsubishi Motors, uh, Mitsubishi as a brand, is, is one of the largest companies in the world. And uh, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, Mitsubishi Corporation, Bank of Tokyo Mitsubishi, picked up where Daimler Chrysler left and provided uh, in excess of five billion dollars to Mitsubishi Motors to uh, pay down debt to produce new products and uh, you know somehow all of that has been lost in people being being nervous about our brand so specifically the the PR job is to is to continue to use the media channels or whatever channels that we can to get through to consumers and say look we've got tremendously exciting products people in the automotive industry will tell you it's all about product it all ultimately boils down to your product and and we have the product existing product and the product that people are going to see here at the new york auto show this week that's coming that that, that is very exciting we've got a 
a brand new Eclipse Spider convertible just in showrooms now. We've got a brand new Outlander sport utility vehicle that's going to be a tremendous hit that's debuting here this week at the New York Auto Show. And we need to, from a PR standpoint, reinforce this exciting product and advertising that we have by saying we've got the support of all the Mitsubishi companies. We're a brand that's here to stay. We've been in selling cars in North America for 25 years now, and uh, we're going to be here for beyond another 25. I've heard um, people who know a lot more about the auto business than me say that it's an industry hooked on incentives. Is that true, and what does that mean? Well, it's uh, I, I, in my past life, I was also in the, the soft drink business, and the soft drink business is... is was a, a perfect example of what the product is with with uh, what the problem is with uh, discounting and and it got to the point nobody pays regular price for for a, a soft drink anymore you cherry pick and you shop and you go to the store where it's on sale and you load up on it until it's on sale the next time so nobody buys a soft drink without an incentive and it really it really the situation was really ex exacerbated uh, at 9-11 because there was a lot of uncertainty uh, connected with the economy and people of uh, understandably really, really tightened up and, and sales went in the tank. And uh, to, to get the engine going again and to, get, and to make sure that the factories were producing and people were working, the uh, automakers provided uh, a uh, heavy incentive, thousands of dollars uh, in cash back or uh, zero percent financing to encourage people to keep buying new, new vehicles. The uh, American consumer and the global consumer of automobiles is uh, the most educated consumer in the marketplace and they learned very quickly that uh, we need to, the, the, the car companies were willing to, you know, put that money on the hood, those thousands of dollars in incentives. And it, it's, it's now to the point that um, it's, it's a, a drug, if you will, that it's, it's very difficult for our industry to, to, to get away from. It's definitely a market right now that's driven with incentives. And if you try to reduce those incentives, your, your, your sales go away. What do you think about what's happening with the American automakers? There is, uh, there is a lot of concern, really, that ex extends beyond uh, Detroit and beyond the automotive industry in, in what's happening. Uh, and, it, you know, it's very easy to, to look back at the past and say maybe we should have have done things differently but now the the cost structure that exists with uh, and when you're talking about American automakers you're talking primarily about Ford General Motors and Chrysler the the cost structure connected with uh, uh, health, the health care provisions of the contracts that they have with their United Auto Workers workforces and probably even more uh, difficult 
the uh, hard-fought, hard-negotiated uh, agreements for benefits for retirees that, uh, that, that the, the UAW got with the big three over the years now puts the American automakers primarily because of their long standing, because they have all of these retirees, it puts them in a in a a very disadvantageous uh, cost situation. Again, you know, as as you said earlier, bearing in mind also that uh, uh, there are tremendous price pressures and profit pressures at the at the retail end of the spectrum. So it's it's it, it's very difficult, and the way that it's going to be solved is through the partnership of labor and um, and uh, the companies and and possibly the government and possibly the healthcare industry and and uh, who, who knows uh, how how it's going to be addressed. But it's a it's a it's a critical issue and it's a critical issue. Not I mean, still one in seven people in the United States still. Are, are in somehow connected in their employment with, with the automotive industry. So it's something that's going to have to be resolved, and the only way it's going to happen is, is through these is through a partnership, a coalition to address the issues. What was Mitsubishi Motor North America's plan of action after being hurt by financial problems of its parent company? Well, the, pa the, 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 the parent company problems were really... Um, were really uh, addressed uh, uh, pretty quickly, as I say, by the uh, the Mitsubishi's coming coming forward with with financing. Uh, I think maybe the thing people are more concerned about is uh, after a, a couple of years of of tremendous growth in 2001 and into 2002, uh, that was primarily fueled by uh, uh, a, a reliance on fleet sales by our company in North America and in uh, an incentive uh, with no money down, no payments, and, and uh, no interest uh, that uh, ended up damaging us uh, in, the, in the marketplace. So specifically with regard to North America, we're uh, recovering from... Uh, the, the the damage that was done perhaps to the reputation of our brand simply by the fact that that we're selling less now than we were in in those days and um, uh, the, the the primary strategy is is product and launching six products over a period of about 26 months and uh, we've now launched uh, three of those. Uh, and uh, as I say, we have the uh, Outlander coming and then a Lancer sedan and a Lancer Evo, which will be the, the last three. So the, the, the main strategy is, is with regard to uh, those new products and then additionally making certain that we are uh, controlling our costs, managing our resources the best that we possibly can. What do you think uh, led to your 28.5% uh, sales increase that you guys announced uh, a couple weeks ago? Uh, well, from between, between February and March, uh, it, it really has been uh, a, a combination of things. Uh, 
and probably the, the, the most important in, in, ad, in addition to the fact that we have all of this new product momentum with the Eclipse and the Eclipse Spider and the Raider truck, which we've never had before, uh, we also uh, started offering uh, a, a very attractive lease uh, program, uh, $199 uh, a month on a Gallant and $299 a month on an Endeavor. And I think that got people to come into the showrooms, got people to start uh, discovering our products and um, uh, hopefully that's that's uh, going to be a straight line increase and we're going to be up another <laughs> 28% in April and another 28% in May but I think that's that's the, those are the primary reasons. So you've got a new president now uh, Hiroshi Haranari. Yes. And uh, apparently he's made some big changes since he's been on. Tell us about those. Well um, uh I think uh, Mr. Haranari's, uh, I, don't know, I don't know if I would really call them, them changes, but uh, something that's, that, that's very important, it, it is almost uh, symbolic, again, hearkening back to, to what I'm talking about with the, with the, the PR. Uh, Mr. Haranari was uh, in charge of all uh, overseas operations for Mitsubishi Motors Corporation before he was assigned to North America to take over as president here. So I think first and foremost, the, the, the importance of that was Mitsubishi Motors Corporation uh, sending the top guy to, to come and oversee North America and to uh, devote that kind of a resource, that kind of a, of a, of a, of a person resource to North America sent a very strong message to our dealers and hopefully to our customers that uh, success in North America is absolutely critical to Mitsubishi. So that's, that's the first thing. W with that, Mr. Haranari brings with him uh, instantaneous decision-making and communication back to the parent company uh, in Japan, which is something that, that we perhaps didn't have until he arrived. And the, the lease program, which was something that the dealers really wanted uh, and something that, that he was able to, to, to make happen and to execute uh, uh, is, is one example. I think, and, and as, it, as it affects all of us who work for the company, uh, a third thing, a third change, measurable change, uh, if you will, that, that has occurred in the, the three full months, three and a half months that he's been in North America, is a, a, re, a, a refocus of attention on discipline. I think on the, on the, the, the disciplines, the very basic disciplines of, of our of our business and maybe even to the point of, of reassessing ways of, of traditionally doing things ways that we traditionally have allocated our resources and having the discipline to to, to really take a hard look at whether we're getting a, a return on that re resource or, or if it would be money that would be better applied somewhere else and uh, of course it's it's early days but uh, I think that that attention to discipline, and in addition to the other things, is a reason that we're going to thrive under Mr. Haranari's leadership. Do you see uh, hybrids as being the future? I mean, do you think most cars manufactured uh, and sold will be hybrids some, anytime soon? 
Uh, this may not be the most popular opinion, but I, I think the jury's out. There have been uh, studies recently, um, uh, and I say that with a proviso. First of all, I, I, I know, everybody else knows, we're, we're going to run out of oil. We, we have to have alternative fuels of, of, of some kind in our, you know, in our, if not in our lifetimes, Eric, in the lifetimes of our kids. Our, we're going to have to, we're going to have to get around, we're going to have to transport ourselves around this planet using something other than fossil fuels. Sooner or later we're going to have to do that. But whether or not it is specifically hybrids as they're, as they are right now, I don't know if that, that, that's really the answer. If you take a really strong look at, at the hybrids and the cost of operating those vehicles, uh, it's, it's, I think the case can be made, and the case is being made by, by people that are a lot smarter about this than I am, that that, that isn't necessarily the way to go. Uh, the the again at the New York Auto Show, which is taking place this week, we're uh, showing a technology which we've already shown uh, elsewhere around the world. That's called MIEV, M-I-E-V, and I'll see if I can. It's Mitsubishi in-wheel electric vehicle. Uh, we this uh, technology uh, puts a, an, an electric motor in all four wheels, a, a separate motor in all four wheels. And ultimately, whether we would run that vehicle with a, you know, a hydrogen-based battery power plant, whether I'm wrong and you know, hybrids you know, are the way that, you know, that we're gonna go, it could have a, a hybrid drive train. I don't know if, if, the, if the technology is ultimately developed, it could have a you know, solar battery drive train of some kind. Uh, but for the long haul, for the, you know, for the future of my kids, uh, the hybrids are just a stepping stone. Sooner or later, I mean, because they, they utilize fossil fuels too. And, and sooner or later, we're going to have to have something else. What are these iCars? Uh, I is a, a car. We have two of them. There are two in this country. And they're in uh, California. It's, it's something that has, been, uh, has taken off uh, tremendously uh, in Japan. But it, it's basically a, it's a mini car. It, it would it would uh, compete with the, the 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 little tiny cars that are in in Europe and and in Japan and gets uh, pretty good gas mileage probably in the 40s uh, in terms of you know uh, miles like, like a smart car like, like smart a like cars. a like a smart car okay yeah. and we're uh, having people uh, drive them to dealerships and drive them around Southern California just to see what just to see what what kind of uh, uh, response uh, people have to them and uh, you know w really with no strategy no plan to introduce them in North America just taking a look see but uh, they're uh, on back order if you will in Japan it's a uh, been introduced less than a year ago and, and has has caught on uh, immediately in Japan so we, we, we'll see how many cylinders uh, I believe it's just a two-cylinder because my uncle actually got a smart car in Europe and brought it out to Las Vegas 
And now whenever he needs a part, he's got to order it from Europe and bring it ah, out. Yeah. But we drove around in it in, in yeah. Las Vegas, and people want, I mean, they're staring. Yeah. Well, they're, and they're cute. Asking you questions. Know. And, and you got you got to remember, I'm not, the, everything but product is right? my, uh, so, uh, 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 so, gosh, somebody will be listening. They'll say, that idiot, that's not a two-cylinder. But I, th I think it's a two-cylinder. But it's a very, very I mean, the real car. concern with a car like that is, you know, what happens when you get hit by the Hummer? Well, you know, it's over for you at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, just yeah. how uh, committed are you yeah. to conserving uh, yeah. our resources yeah. is the real question. Yeah. Do you think um, the the SUV as a as a category has a has has legs, or do you think people now are getting resistant to it because of the cost of yeah, oil? I, I has think gone it, up? I think it has legs here. I, I think uh, uh, you know it, it, it's America. Eric, I mean, you know, we first of all we're in love with the auto with the automobile, uh, and um, uh, people people are still driving SUVs. People are still are still buying SUVs, and and you know, there's a, a lot of talk about uh, you know fuel efficiency, gas mileage, hybrids. Uh, I'm a transplanted central Illinoisan and, and, and I'm in Southern California now. You know, and you're on the 405 freeway, uh, 14 lanes of bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. There's nobody in the carpool lanes, man. Uh, you know, you could, you could get in the carpool lane and go 75 miles an hour past all the other cars that are sitting still. Uh, again, I really personally am an environmentalist i'm really concerned about you know wh where the planet is going for my kids but as a, a you know as a business person as a marketer purely to answer the question can you predict you know do the suvs have legs the american consumer right now rightly or wrongly probably wrongly is is not showing that they really care that much they're not and you're looking at J.D. Powers and all these measures of what's being bought, right? And you don't, there's no difference. Honestly, just, there's, there's, just, there's just not very much. Uh, uh, I mean, they're, they're, uh, the CAFE standards are, are uh, you know, the federal government is, is uh, uh, you know, has, has enacted legislation to, to force... Uh, or to to incent uh, car makers to have better you know better fuel efficiency, uh, and uh, you know we're we're trying to make the vehicles as fuel efficient as as we possibly can, uh, but you know ultimately uh, again it's going to have to be one of those coalitions. It's going to have to be labor and government and the 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 automotive industry working together. To come up with some kind of an alternative uh, to to fossil fuels, and you know, it's not not really just the auto industry. It's the, you know the uh, electrical generation in industry. The the <laughs> we have a carbon-based global economy, and those fossil fuels are going to run out. They're not going to last forever. But uh, right now. I, I, you know, you go to go to the New York Auto Show, go to the next auto show that's in your community. Um, uh, 
there are a lot of fuel-efficient cars, but there are also a lot of consumers that get worked up, as you say, about the new Hummer or you know about the about the new SUV. So you know, right now there's going to be a mix. You know, we're going to see more and more smaller cars, whether it's the i car from Mitsubishi or whether it's something else. We're going to see more and more of those, but uh, the consumers have not indicated that they're. Uh, turning away from the trucks and the SUVs, not yet. So just final question on this. One of the things that people don't talk about much, but it seems like it must be an issue, and I wonder if you have any data on this, is safety. I mean, being safe on the road, obviously the size of the car you're in plays a factor in whether or not you're going to get killed if you wind up in a collision. Well, first of all, uh, automobiles have never been safer than they are now it's not even it's not even close and that's even even compact cars oh yeah yeah it's not even close and and it's due to a a tremendous you know coalition of of government agencies and 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 industry and you know the NHTSA and the uh, institute for uh, IIHS uh, insurance institute for highway safety and uh, it's surprising to me because I mean you look at the bumper height on some of these SUVs compared to a compact. And I mean, if these things hit, I mean, there is no standard on that bumper height. You know, the, the, the compact's gonna go right but, under the but SUV. We've got we've got uh, airbag technology that's better than, than ever before. And, uh, you know, at, 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 the bo- at the bottom line, you know, when, when you have that, that collision, uh, there's got to be some driver accountability in that, you know, and uh, so so hopefully we're also uh, working more and more to uh, to develop technologies that are more active in terms of of helping the driver avoid collisions, and uh, I, I'm 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 very bullish on on safety and what the government is doing, what the insurance industry is doing, and what the automakers are doing with regard to, to safety. I, I just, I, I, you know, I'm afraid I gotta argue with you a little bit there. I, I really don't think, to me, uh, the, the, the small car is, is, is something that you, you need to not purchase it for a safety reason. I mean, just my perspective, when I had a, I recently had a son, he's 16 months now, when, and I went out to shop for a car because at the time I had a sports car. The only source I consulted was the Consumer Reports crash test listing. That's it. Yeah. And I made my purchasing yeah. decision based on the best brakes and what performed sure. best in front and side impact. Sure. Yeah. So I've got to think I'm not the only one. I mean, I don't no, people are people are very bright. people are very very concerned about safety. It's a it's a priority, but it's a priority for the automakers too. Well, thanks a lot for uh, for taking the time to, oh, uh, to talk. I, had a I great really enjoyed time. it. I, we kind of carried on there. Yeah, we went a lot we longer did. than I thought, but uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, me too. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.